Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo. We bring you hand-selected hosts, podcasts, and talk radio programming with listening options, 24-7 streaming, or listen on demand. We also feature one-on-one segments with important guests, people who have something to say that you need to hear. And if you have something to say and would like to be featured on the network, please visit speakuptalkradio.com for all of the details or contact us at PR at speakuptalkradio.com. Well, today, I'm just thrilled to have a returning guest, this time not to talk about patient safety and the patient experience, but to share his new book titled The Big Kid and Basketball and the Lessons He Taught His Father and Coach. He is Tom Dahlberg, a healthcare leader and the former head of the Parent Partnership Program for the National Institute for Children's Health Quality. With more than 35 years of experience leading and serving in healthcare, Tom also volunteers for a wide range of nonprofits and loves his time coaching young men's basketball. His newest book tells his personal story of his son who overcame the impact of bullying through resilience, sports, faith and love, and how he taught his dad courage and determination. And I can't wait to share him with you once again. So welcome back, Tom. Oh, thank you, Pat. It is so great to be back, and it has been way too long. Uh, I love sharing with you. I think of the Grill the Guest segment we did probably four or five years ago, and, and, and I smile every time I think of that. It's just so much fun to be with you. For folks that don't know that, we did a little fun thing where we grilled our guest, and, and Tom was such a trooper. I think we asked him questions, but you only could give a one- or two-word answer. <laughs> That's right, but let's just say that I think I added hyphens to numbers of words to try to uh, uh, work through that challenge that you provided to me. <laughs> we we call that a rule breaker, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. It was fun. We had sizzling sounds as if you were on a grill. It was cool. You're a good you're a good sport. <laughs> I appreciate. That. All right. Well, today I want to talk about this book because there's a very important message in it. And initially, this book seems to be a bit of departure from the world of healthcare. But not really, because there are plenty of common threads when it comes to behavior. So let's talk about this book. How did it come about? Well, it's interesting. It wasn't meant to come about uh, initially. So meaning there wasn't forethought in, I'm going to go write a book about this subject, about bullying. Rather, as my son, it's the big kid in basketball, my son is the big kid, as he was growing and we moved to this coastal community in Maine, we started as a family to experience, and he experienced directly bullying, and it was bullying by adults to this child. My son was a big kid. He was about four years old, and a quick story. One day, he was outside, and we could see him from the window in our side yard, and he was playing with his friends, and all the friends decided that they were going to go into the home right next door. And we're watching them, and, and we know the neighbors, and we see them starting to head in, and all's well and good. My wife, my bride, and I turn around, and then a couple moments later, Tommy comes bursting through the door, and he is crying. And can't, he can't catch his breath. He's trying to tell us, and all we're hearing is, Mama, Dada, Mama, Dada. And then eventually, Pat, what he shared was when he got to the door, this mother looked at him after letting everyone else in and said, you're, Tommy, you can't come in. You're too big. <gasps> yeah. Devastating. Oh. And so oh. 
not too much longer after that, as another example, we're at a block party in the neighborhood, and they had one of those, I forget what they call it, but those bouncy things that, like, yes. sometimes look like castles and sometimes mm-hmm. not, and same type of thing. Tommy, you can't go in. You are too big. And he was four, oh. and the children that were in the bouncy thing at that time were like eight, nine, or ten years old, so it wasn't like he was with babies. Mm-hmm. Long story short, my bride and I were looking at each other, what's, what's wrong with us? What are we not doing well? What can we be doing differently? What remedies can we put into effect to help our child? And, and, and quite frankly, most things we tried didn't work or backfired, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where eventually... We decided, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was we were going to move out of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was too toxic, and we were not going to allow our child to experience what he had been experiencing. So I start journaling at that time about what he's going through, what my bride and I are going through, what we're learning, what we're trying. And we moved to another community, like the town over. And as time goes by, I start working for, and you mentioned it in the intro, the National Institute for Children's Health Quality. And it was there, Pat, that I learned this, this is a good news and bad news. The good news was my bride and I and my son were not alone. The bad news was that we were not alone. We learned that 30, uh, 27% of children report being bullied by other parents. Mm. This is research studies out of, uh, out of Yale. We learned that 37% of children are bullied by teachers. And we also learned that 42% of children are bullied by coaches slash phys ed teachers. And so again, here's this, you're not alone, but also, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what can we do? What resources are there? How can we help? And and so again, I'm writing this journal. I, my father and my my bride see parts of it and they say, you know, you should share this. You should try to help. You know, this could help other people going through this. So because again, you're not alone. And so one day when Tommy was older, I think he was like eight, nine, or ten years old, probably eight, I think. Nope, I take it back, probably ten. I I sat with him and I read a couple of journal entries, and I said, Tommy, what do you think? Are you comfortable with your father, with me sharing this? And if not, it's okay. I totally get it. And he looked at me, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, as I get tears right now, he says, Daddy, I want to help. Please share it. So that's how the Big Kid in Basketball blog was started. And now fast forward about eight years, because literally it's like July or August of 2018, my father kept saying to me throughout this time, you've got to turn this into a book. And then there was a woman in northern Maine somehow found the blog series, because I really wasn't publicizing it that much. And she, she wrote me via Facebook Messenger and said, I sat down in an afternoon and read every blog post in The Big Kid in Basketball. I want to be a coach. I want to help children. This needs to be a book. And so I read it. I, I shared it with my bride. I called my dad and I said, Dad, you're right. And so I had been writing a healthcare book since 2015 and I thought that was going to be what I'd be publishing at this point. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm just going to follow fate, whatever, the universe, destiny, whatever, and I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to self-publish it. I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. And long story short, Pat, there's been so much energy around this mm-hmm. because we're not alone. Yep. And, and it's children with adult bullying. It's, it's bullying in the workplace, especially in healthcare. It's bullying children on children. It is story after story of children being bullied 
and as you see more and more, is also suicide yes. that is happening, not only because of bullying or not just because of bullying, but it's happening and bullying is a contributor to that and horrific end result. So uh, again, it was very organic. It, it's it's a message that's close to our heart because we lived it and we want to help. Yeah. Wow. Well, bless you and bless your son for having the courage to say, yes, go ahead and let's get this out there. I want to I want to help. You know, this is such a serious issue and it, bullying receives a lot of press, but you're specifically talking about children being bullied by adults, and that takes this story to a completely other level. And and when I was preparing to talk with you today, it hit me again. I remember when my daughter played varsity basketball and volleyball, everyone called one of her teammates four cheeks because this girl was heavier than the rest. And this was not just from the kids. It was the parents in the stand mm -hmm. were yelling four cheeks. And I, you know, at the time, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I guess I didn't realize that it was such a widespread problem. So thank you for, for sharing this and bringing this aspect of it to light. Thank you for saying that. You're right. It's huge. I remember as a coach, and I coached my son first as an assistant coach for a couple of years, and I think maybe eight more years after that as the head coach, and you would hear, just like you just said, some horrific things out of the stands from parents, sometimes to their own child, which is mm -hmm. bad enough, and often to other children. Yeah. And they would gravitate towards whatever it was that they thought could hurt, could harm mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. It could be about this size, just like my son experiencing and, and um, the person on your daughter's team experienced. It could be about braces. It could be about missing a shot. It could be about um, their family. It, could, it was horrific. Mm -hmm. And so um, Channel 8 up here in Portland, Maine, WMTW, did a story on this. And, and it was really powerful because they also, in addition to myself, they brought in another coach who was saying the same things. And this is a different part of the state, hearing the same type of things of what's being said from the stands and now he's still coaching. Now I've, I've been out of coaching for a few years. How, in his opinion, it's even getting worse. And so, again, good and bad news is we're not alone. And the only way we're going to fix this, Pat, is together. So, again, mm -hmm. we, uh, we shouldn't be alone in trying to fix it, too. And that's why it's so important to me to share the message, share the message with coaches, with parents, with educators, with the kids themselves, because there's so much harm being done. And, quite frankly... The harm isn't only right at that moment when the child's feelings are being hurt, when they're being hurt in so many different ways. It 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 longitudinal, and mm -hmm. I'll give you, if you don't mind, two examples of that. One is just recently, um, I had shared a post about some of the some of the feedback about what's happening with bullying and so forth on Facebook, and a woman reached out to me in Facebook Messenger. It's, it's amazing social media nowadays, and she said she's almost sixty. She said. Still, in her heart, in her mind, when she is trying to accomplish something as a woman who's almost 60, she hears in the back of her head, you're not good enough. Because that is what her phys ed teacher used to say to her in second grade. So it's, like mm -hmm. I said, it, it hurts and harms yes. when the person's in second grade. It carries forth throughout the people's lives in many, many ways, um, consciously and subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you one more quick example as well. When I was the executive director for a nonprofit research institute, we also had a multi-specialty group practice. And we had a woman come to us one time who said, my 
primary care physician, my doctor, she said, fired me from his practice. Ooh. And over time, we developed, we focused a lot on relationship and connection and humanity and compassion and trust and, and safety. Safety as far as the, the, the clinical, but also uh, creating a safe space for optimal communication, which also leads to safety in the clinical space as well. And over time, she shared more and more of her story. She shared that she went to this physician. He diagnosed diagnosed her as morbidly obese. She was a big woman. And he said to her, do you want to live? And she said, yes. Now, Pat, I hope he was saying that to try to identify some sort of motivational mm-hmm. device or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I don't know who it, the, the physician himself. And she said, yes, I want to live because I have a granddaughter and I want to see my granddaughter get married. So, again, she's telling the story. He says to her, great, here's your diet, here's your exercise regimen, go do it. I'm giving you the real Reader's Digest version. <laughs> she, she goes off three times, three times her words, she fails. The third time, she goes back to the primary care physician and he says, I told you what to do. You're not listening to me. I can't help you. You need to go find a new doctor. Oh. So now she's at our practice, and in our practice, we have primary care physicians, we have mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, psychologists, licensed social workers, other therapists. And in the safe container, in this, um, in the safe place, she shared more. She shared that when she was a child, she was bullied, and she was quite frankly abused by coaches and phys ed teachers. She shared that, in her words, she hated going to gym. She hated getting changed for gym. She hated exercise. And again, in her own words, mm-hmm. she hated her own body. Oh. Now, this physician, just to close that point, he had no idea. He didn't know any of that because in his model, his, his practice, he didn't have the container for, to allow for safety to share mm-hmm. that type of information. Mm-hmm. We were blessed to have that model. The point related to what we're talking about here is that, again, is that longitudinal impact of bullying, that this woman became so against exercise, against treating herself well because she hated herself because so many people told her she wasn't good enough, told her she her, her body was bad and she was bad because of it, that that carried forth into now she has a granddaughter. And this woman now talk about, we talked about, mentioned suicide earlier, but this woman had life-threatening healthcare challenges because of her weight and a lot of that goes back to she was being bullied as a child mm-hmm. and so a lot of times we think yeah bullying is awful and we need to do something about it true and it's more than that because it leads to such things as suicide and these types of stories out there absolutely wow that's an intense story and there's so many giant conversations we could have right around that one as well it makes me think about empathy and i was going to ask you children being bullied by other children how should adults in the situation handle this i was thinking about the fear of consequence you know if you keep bullying sarah you're not going to be on the team anymore or do we teach empathy. And then that takes us back to a, the healthcare roots that we both have, that healthcare story that you just told that we beg for empathy from our medical providers. So whether we're being bullied by children or adults, what do you do about that? And how do we teach empathy? What What's the solution? One of the questions you asked was, what do we do as coaches or as coaches or as adults if we see someone bullying a child, bullying another child? And, and I think there's lots of things we can do. And we need to do them universally. And we need to stress or prioritize certain actions depending on the person. So as an example, if I'm a coach, I need to, first of all, role model 
not bullying. Mm-hmm. I can't be bullying my own players. I can't be bullying my family. I can't be bullying other players. I use the term a lot, head on a swivel. So when I used to coach, it, the, the term, especially on defense, would be, yes, you're guarding your own man or, 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 or the, the child in front of you, but you also have to have a head on a swivel to make sure you know where the ball is and also to see what's happening behind you. So you always need to be scanning. As a coach, as a parent, as an adult, yes, we want to maintain focus on our own child to make sure they're safe. We want to maintain focus on ourselves that we're not projecting any shadow, any things that happen to us as a child that we're now projecting onto others. And with that head still on a swivel, we need to ensure all the children on that team, all the children on that court, all that children, those children on the bench are being treated appropriately. So that's key is role modeling. I do when I'm talking, I, ta- I do this little thing with making an okay sign. And what I ask people to do, I say, okay, now take you, and Pat, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you what you do. Uh, I'm going to ask you what the outcome was. So, so if you could take your left hand and make an okay sign, and do you have it? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, if you please place the okay sign, uh, this is probably not going to work because we're on the phone. We're going to do it anyways, um, on your chin. Now, when I'm on stage, what I do is I say place it on your chin, but then I place the okay sign on my cheek. And nine, over 90% of the time, <laughs> people place the okay sign on their, <gasps> their cheek, cheek uh-huh. not on their chin. Yep. The point is we do, far more, we do far more based on what we see, see. Mm-hmm. than what we hear. Mm-hmm. So we can preach all day long, treat everyone nicely, which is important. We should be preaching that message but it's more based on what we do as adults, as coaches. Yes. So that's number one, yeah. role model, anti-bullying behavior. Number two is we need to, again, just like in that medical practice I was talking about, we need to create a safe place that when our children see bad things happening, see bullying behaviors from others towards others, or feel bullied themselves, they're encouraged to come to us, come to their parent, come to a trusted adult. Understanding adults is the problem in many cases, but come to a trusting adult that is role modeling the right behaviors and share. We need to listen, and we need to listen to understand. As humans, we're programmed to listen to respond, but we really need to open up our heart and our mind to listen to understand what the child is telling us and also what they're not telling us Mm -hmm. because there are signs that someone's being bullied. And sometimes those signs are they're becoming more and more, more and more withdrawn. There's also signs when someone is becoming a bully, and we need to listen and under, again to understand what's happening in all these situations. There is no excuse for bullying behavior, and it's incredibly helpful. So to both end, to understand why those bullying behaviors are happening, mm-hmm. set expectations, and just like you said, set consequences. Yeah. Be very clear and hold everybody accountable starting with ourselves by looking in the mirror. What are we doing to contribute to this? If you know Deming and Drucker in quality improvement, um, Deming specifically had talked about the 94-6 rule. The 94-6 rule in quality improvement, is the research shows that 94% of the time when something bad happens, be it a broken process or, or bad behaviors, 94% of the time it's a system related issue. Mm-hmm. That means the system is broken. We've created a bad system that led to a bad outcome. of the time, it's person-related, people-related. And so, but what do we do as adults? What do we do as, quote, leaders is we always blame the person. And so, again, 
Bullying behavior is never acceptable. You hold people accountable. And we have to look in the mirror and hold ourselves accountable. Did we create the environment that led to that bullying? And then we need to fix it. And again, 94% of the time, probably us, or at least we're a contributor to it. You know, and that's actually a really simple and easy answer. If each one of us looked at our own selves and our own behavior and what it is we're putting out there, then the problem would be solved. Because I don't think, I hope, that people don't want to behave this way. I don't think we're hardwired to be hurtful to other people. So maybe if everyone just stopped and said, what am I doing? What message am I sending to others, to my kids, to anyone that I come in contact with? Maybe it could be solved. I think you're exactly right that that is a key to it. And I also know, just to add to that, there are a lot of people that have damaged themselves. Yes. And I just read recently, and I wish I could remember who wrote the quote or who said this, but I can't. But it's not me, it's them, and they're brilliant, and, and I'm totally copying it right <laughs> now. It said the number one thing a good leader does is become self-aware. And I'm like, yes, that's right. This gets to exactly what we're talking about. We need to be aware of our actions and our behaviors and why we're doing them and not excuse it, but fix the behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so we need to absolutely do these things, hold ourselves and others accountable, and really, again, maintain that self-awareness, which can be incredibly hard as we go through our own, I'll call it, healing journey, because some of us have been through really, really hard stuff, really, really bad stuff. No excuse for bad behavior, but... We also need to think about how we can all also heal so we can help others optimally. That's a wonderful answer because not only are you putting good out there, you're putting good back to yourself. I mean, you're healing yourself and then that gets mirrored out into the world. Thank you, Tom. I think this is a really important conversation. I'm going to bet that many people really haven't given much consideration to adults bullying uh, younger children. I, I know my bride and I hadn't. Again, yes. it was brand new to us. We thought we were the problem. And, yes. and again, we tried all different things to mitigate and to fix oh, and, wow. and found another key, I would say, a key takeaway, hopefully for people is, number one, as I said, you're not alone. And number two, reach out to experts. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to try to figure it out yourself. My bride and I, we made plenty of mistakes. So we've learned from the mistakes and we're here to help too. Um, and there's amazing resources like stopbullying.gov is a great website to get tangible, actionable things that a child can do, a coach can do, a parent can do. And on tbkid.org, there's a link called resources. Yes. It, right there, a number of different resources as well to help people. Thank you for mentioning that. That's at your website, tbkid.org. And in your book, The Big Kid in Basketball, you provide 10 key steps for parents to follow to proactively position their children for psychological safety as they engage in sports. So that's also included in your book. It's in the book. It's on the website. And just a couple real quickly. One is, and I say to folks, is interview the coach. Absolutely interview the coach. And coaches and I was a coach, and coaches that are out there, be prepared to be interviewed. Therefore, look in the mirror and figure out, if you don't already know, what is your philosophy? What are your values? What will you do if you see bullying? Uh, um, What is your philosophy on playing time? Be clear about that. If it's a rec league like I coached, it should be equal playing time for everybody. If it's a D1 uh, college and so forth, it's different, but be clear about it. Talk about it. Make sure people are well aware of it. Set the expectation and then honor those expectations. And one other I'd, I'd like to highlight, 
um, of the 10 steps is what I call show up. And what I mean by that, and this actually links to another one, which is red flags, often you will hear, even in programs with eight-year-olds, oh, the practices are closed. No, no, no. These are children. They're 10. This isn't D1 basketball or football or whatever. This isn't the pros. These are kids. So parents, if you hear a coach say practice is closed, that's unacceptable. Talk to the coach. Talk to the administrators, whoever they may be. Those practices are open because we need to show up ourselves or partner with other parents we trust to show up and be there and keep an eye on our kid, our own child, and head on a swivel. Keep an eye on other children as well. It's up to all of us together to ensure we stop bullying. And keep an eye on the parents who show up, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And when people, and this is something from quality improvement as well, when people are doing things that are really good, if a parent is in the stands encouraging, thank them. Yes. Let them know you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. If a child is encouraging one, uh, another player, thank them. Let them know how much you appreciate that. Let them know how much of a leader that child is being and doing so. Because research also shows when we, what I call, fan the flame of good, we're more likely to have better behaviors and better outcomes. Mm-hmm. When we focus on only the negative, we got to fix brokenness, we got to fix brokenness. Yes, we do. But if we only focus there, we actually do great harm. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be very careful, but again, fan the flame of good wherever possible. And isn't that a tendency we all have is that somebody does a good job and or your, your child does something well and it's just, okay, I expect that and the only time they hear from you is when you know something goes astray or wrong. So that's excellent advice. And you're so right. We do that with children and being in healthcare, we do that in healthcare mm-hmm. all the time too. Mm-hmm. And what I find, especially in healthcare, is we're fixers. We see something broken, we're going to fix it. We see something that someone's doing that's not, not the best or, or is leading to a bad outcome, we're going to fix that first. Now, again, if it's life-threatening, it's a huge safety issue, yes, go fix it. Let's make sure we keep people, everyone safe. But if it's not, if there's an opportunity to improve, focus on what the person's doing really well mm-hmm. first, fan that flame, then or also focus on the opportunity. That, again, it may feel real good, for some of us to just go and fix something, mm-hmm. we got to get over that because the research shows that's not good enough. We haven't done enough to make things better for others. We need to focus on both the positives and that opportunity. Wow, absolutely. So many nuggets here. You know, as you're saying that, I was thinking from a patient standpoint, back to healthcare for just a mm-hmm. second. As a patient, I find myself doing this very purposefully. When I have a healthcare provider, especially if that person seems a little rushed or maybe perhaps a little bit rude, I stop and I say, thank you for helping me. Mm. And just the tone of your voice and just to say, thank you for helping me. You know, I'm in need and you're helping me. I could see the physical reaction from that person where they're shocked that somebody actually said that. And actually what it does is changes the whole demeanor and and the future encounters with that person because they realize that you need them and you are thanking them and you appreciate them. I don't think many people do that. You are so spot on. And in fact, as soon as you started to say what you just shared, and thank you for doing so, I immediately pictured that person's shoulders coming down. Yes. Because you're right. Mm -hmm. When we go to that place of gratitude, it actually helps. Well, I'll say it differently. Differently, research shows that when we say thank you to somebody, not only does the person who we said thank you to heal literally at a cellular level, 
but we, the person who's given the gratitude, heal as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating to me. Cellular level, we're having healing right now. Yep. And then, more specifically to what you said, that person, their whole demeanor changes, their energy changes, whatever term we want to use, but they become more present and more open and more able to help themselves and to help others even more so because we went to a place of gratitude. Kudos for you for doing that. It seems to help, and I take it beyond saying thank you. I say thank you for helping me. Mm-hmm. And wow, that, I just think that makes a connection between that person and you. They realize that they are necessary. They realize that you need them. It just does a lot for those few words. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Oh, I love talking to you. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I want to think about this for a second. Sports, by their nature, are competitive. So what does it mean to win? I mean, maybe that's something that we should be talking about to our teams as well. I can answer that in so many different ways, but I'm going to be very literal for to at least start. So when we're focusing on, and my, and my son actually said to the, me to this, excuse me, said this to me the other day. He says, Dad, when you're on stage, if someone says, what do you mean I have to stop being nice to everybody? You know, we're here to win a game and so forth. And what I said back to my son, because he was helping me prepare, I said, you know, if someone really has that mentality, I would take a moment. And I would ask them if they truly believe that bullying and abuse are keys to achieving a win. Because there's a far spectrum between bullying and abuse and doing everything we can within our nature to win a game. Because mm-hmm. winning's great. Winning is absolutely great when we do it the right way. And it feels good. And quite frankly, on the other side, and I learned this in healthcare, when we lose, we learn far more. We learn far more about ourselves and about others when we lose. So at the end of the day, both are great. And so we should work hard to achieve success on the, on the, on the ice, on the basketball court, on the field, to, to win a game. And at the end of the day, if we've lost, think about what we learned from it and how we can grow from it. And so I think that's a key piece of it. And then on top of that, and, I, and I'm actually doing a talk for the Maine Recreations and Parks Association later this month. And part of the talk is about the non-X's and O's of sports, the non-X's and O's of coaching, which focuses on the other successes. And I'll give you an example. I had a, uh, a child, the, the director of the league I was coaching, came up to me and said, would you be willing to have this child on your team? He's a senior. He's been going through a really tough time, and he, he really could, would benefit from being in community. I said, absolutely. And so this young man joined my team, and quite frankly, on the court, he was phenomenal. He is absolutely incredible. Off the court, he was dealing with not only bullying, he was dealing with abuse. He was literally living in a uh, mechanic's garage because he couldn't go home. And I remember struggling with, I need to hold this kid, this child accountable for his bad behavior. But really, all I want to do is hug this mm. kid and tell him I love him. Yeah. And my bride would say to me, he needs a strong father figure. You have to be that. Oh. And so it was incredibly hard. And so at the end of the day, when I think about success, it was so much less than what was on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. It was about helping this child at a time that he needed help. And me growing as a human being to become a better person because I knew I had to do some really hard stuff, stuff that didn't wasn't natural to me necessarily. Mm-hmm. 
but it was what that child needed. And so there's lots of ways to define success. Yep. Oh, we need a lot more Tom Dahlbergs out there. <laughs> you are way too kind. <laughs> no, I'm honest. <laughs> Tom, obviously, we could talk about this for quite a long time. There's just so, so many avenues we can hit. But um, sadly, we're going to begin to wrap up. Is there anything that we missed, though, that you wanted to bring up? I guess a couple things. One is, if you're an adult listening and you're a coach, a parent, an educator, whomever it might be, please know there are far more good people doing great things out there. The point here is there's also opportunities. There's opportunities to look in the mirror, as we talked about. There's opportunities to help others, and there's opportunities to truly impact a child at this moment, and that moment's going to last them the rest of their lives. And so I think that's a key piece of it. Another one is if folks want to hear more, want me to come and talk, I, I am incredibly passionate about this. I want to help. Please reach out at mail.thebigkid at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to come and give talk, or if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're hurting, please, I'm happy to help. And if I can, I can direct you to experts. Because mm-hmm. as I said earlier, we're not alone. Right. And we need to help one another. Right. And we mentioned your website, tbkid.org. And that's where you'll see links for resources for parents and coaches and educators and your book reviews and endorsements. So everything is at that website, tbkid.org. Any other places to contact you or stick with your website and your email? Those are two. I also, I give out my cell phone number and it's right on the website, but it's also, it's 207-747-9663. And what's been amazing is my son has his own ministry now. So he works in finance. He graduated from St. Joseph's College. And man, he works in finance. He also has his own ministry where he's helping children, children who have dealt with things very similar to what he's dealt with, and also children who are dealing with other stresses. And he's, the, he, he's there to help them. And he actually has his own website of people, his blog and his message, and it's heartofthelion.wordpress.com. And then my daughter, Samantha, she's engaged with many of the folks that have reached out. And we've had uh, people who are going through their own uh, challenges and almost committing suicide themselves and their child being bullied, their child with epilepsy, being bullied by a coach. Oh. And so, again, what? we make sure they get to the resources, the psychiatrist, psychologist, the other mental health resources, emotional health resources that they need. And we also complement that by listening listening to understand and supporting them. So this has really become a family thing because your family had to live this together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My, you know, people think, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's because he was big or, or because of X, Y, or Z. My daughter, Samantha, she was bullied a lot herself. And quite frankly, you know, you said, oh, we need more Tom Dahlbergs. Well, here's a story that may, may make you think differently. Simi was doing her own podcast, was on another podcast not too long ago, and my bride and I were listening to it. And she says... Sammy says when she was in high school, she used to eat lunch in the bathroom because she was being bullied. Pat, I had no idea. Good grief. I learned that during that podcast like four weeks ago. And here's Samantha, and from a, um, how do I say it? She's beautiful inside now. She's beautiful physically. She was a Miss Maine USA. She competed in the Miss USA. Here she is being bullied in high school and up until very recently dealing with bullying. And so it's not just for the people that maybe are not the average or not whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all of us. And we need to support all of us. Wow. That looking in the mirror. 
All right, so there's plenty of ways to get in touch with you. The title of the book is The Big Kid in Basketball and the Lessons He Taught His Father and Coach. Tom's website is tbkid.org. Tom Dahlberg, I love spending time with you. We need to do this more often. You're just the best, and you share so many positive messages, not only within healthcare, but within life in general. So thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you, Pat. I love being on your show. The message that you share yourself and with your guests, and yes, love to come on uh, more frequently. Maybe next time we talk about more of the patient safety aspect and how communication is so important. Absolutely. You're a pro when it comes to that. I look forward to it. Tom Dahlberg, everybody. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Pat.